Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you and specifically, Happy New Year to you. I hope that your new year is getting off to a great start and we are so excited to have the chance to jump into this new year and see what all God has in store for us. So as we get ready to do that, we're gonna be jumping into God's word together and exploring there what God has in store for us. So I invite you today to join with me. Let's join our hearts together in prayer as we get ready to explore what God is going to be sharing with us this day. Let's pray. Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Whether you were able to stay up to midnight on New Year's Eve or not, I do hope that your new year is getting off on a great start, for whatever that might mean for you in your life. We all know that as we get to New Year's, those are natural times to both pause and look back and do a little bit of reflection on what has been, but also then to prepare ourselves to look ahead and start to get ready for what might be coming our way. Now, many of you that might know me know I am not the most naturally reflective person. You can just ask my wife, Jen, about that. But at this time of the year, I do find myself being a little more reflective than I often am. For example, I like to think back on the previous year and kind of get a sense of what was on the hearts and minds of all of us collectively in our culture. And there's lots of different ways that you can do that. But one of the ways I like to do it is I like to Google and look at stories that were Googled over the past year. And I like to do that because when you Google something, that means those, those are stories actively sought out by somebody else. So when I look up the stories that were Googled by others, it's not just somebody's opinion that they're putting out there, that people happen to look at that particular story. Rather, there are certain subjects that people proactively Googled to look up to learn more about. So when I went back to 2022, uh, there were two categories I looked up of what people had Googled and what stories people had searched out. And the first category were just random stories uh, that included news stories or personality stories or sports stories or just in general stories. And I Googled what had been most searched in 2022. And then I also specifically looked up the most Googled news stories. So general stories and then news stories and I cross-referenced those to see if there was any overlap between the two. And when I looked at the top 10 most general stories and the top 10 news stories, there were actually four that overlapped. So I feel pretty safe that these were four major stories that were on our hearts and minds in 2022. And here's how they came up. Number four, and this is the one that maybe surprised me the most because it had not been on my radar, and that was the number four story involved Powerball numbers. And the reason for this is because back in November, actually on November the 8th of 2022, there was a $2.04 billion winning Powerball. That was the highest amount in history. So a whole lot of people had checked that out, even though I had missed that one. The number three story was with everything happening in Ukraine. Ever since the Russian invasion of Ukraine back in February of 2022, this story has been pretty consistently in the news, along with the Ukrainian leader, uh, Vladimir Zelensky. Uh, we're not, still not sure exactly how that one will play out, but that story has been prevalent in our minds. The number two story was the passing of Queen Elizabeth. And you will remember, really, the whole world paused to honor her. 
She had been the longest ruling English monarch in history. She had ruled for over 70 years. She was the longest female uh, monarch in history as a whole. So that was a pretty significant deal. And then I don't know if you have any idea what the number one story might have been, but it was the election results of the midterms. It was the top Googled story uh, in general and for the news stories that people were seeking out. And I find all of these stories to be interesting because again, they give us a glimpse into what's been in people's hearts and minds. And one of the questions that comes to me when I think about what the top news stories have been is why? Why these stories? What's the heart behind them? What are people thinking that caused them to Google and to search out these kind of stories and to learn more about them? And certainly we cannot know for certain why people Googled and searched for these stories, but I think there's a few things that start to come to mind. For example, I think the election results rise to the top because people care about who's in charge. They care about who might have power and influence and how that power and influence might influence my life and our life together. I think that with all the change going on in our world, we mourn the loss of stability and things which are familiar. So when somebody like Queen Elizabeth passes away, after having ruled for 70 years, there's a loss that we feel, not to mention we're always enamored with royalty. I think when we think about the increasing volatility in our world and the lack of stability in our world, we pay close attention to what's happening in Ukraine and how that might impact stability in the world as a whole. And has been, as been the case throughout the ages, human beings have always been fascinated by the idea of living happily ever after or escaping the trials of this world. So no wonder we get excited about and pay attention to a Powerball lottery. And then just as a very quick side note, when I was researching this and looking into it, I wonder if any of you have any idea what the most searched word was for 2022. I don't know if you know what that might be. So I will just tell you, it was the word Wordle. So if you played that game in 2022, you are in good company. Apparently most of our culture did. 2022 really was the year of Wordle. So I bring all of this up because this is the world that we are in. This is the world, the time, the culture in which we find ourselves. And so we need to pay attention to what's happening in our world and the culture as a whole if we are also going to faithfully and relevantly share the love of Jesus Christ in our world in a way that impacts and transforms lives. We better pay attention to what's happening around us so that we can best then know how to share God's love in the time in which we live. We have to be aware that some of the things that are on people's minds are things like who's in charge and how do we deal with a loss of stability in our world while finding increased volatility? And what does it mean when we're trying to escape the trials and the pains of this world? And understands those dynamics helps us then navigate our way forward. We've entitled the current sermon series that we're jumping into today, The Church We Want to Be. And to be very, very clear, we're not really talking about the church we want to be. We want to talk about the church that God is calling us to be. Because the church we want to be, very simply, is the church that God is calling us to be. So it's about what God has in store for us. It's not about our desires. It's about God's desires and us faithfully following where God is leading. But at the same time, we want to lay out for ourselves uh, in surrender for what God has in store for us. We know that every single church has a particular context to live in. 
we do not live or exist in a vacuum. So while all churches everywhere at all time are called to seek Christ as Lord, to offer the love of Jesus with everyone, especially the least and the lost, and seeking to figure out how to do that, it's gonna look a little bit different in every time and place. So for many of us, we are connected in close enough proximity to Williamsport, Pennsylvania in the year 2023. We're not in Arizona or Poland or Ukraine right now. It's not the year 1823 or 1523 or 1023. It's the year 2023. So what does it mean for us to be God's church here and now? And it's not an easy thing to figure out. It requires diving deep into scripture, but it also requires large doses of humility and prayer. It involves surrender on our part. It requires stepping out in faith. It requires us saying it's not about my own individual desires. It requires a focus on God over ourselves, and it requires us matching our gifts and our passions with the needs around us. And when we mix all of that together, we get a better sense of who God is calling us to be and the church that God is calling us to be. So in the weeks ahead, we're going to dive more specifically into what this means for First Church and our specific DNA. But today, we want to take a very general look at what it means to be God's church. And so first of all, I want us to understand this should be something that matters to all of us. I realize when I talk about the kind of church God is calling us to be, it might be tempting to think, well, wait a minute, this does not involve me. That's for the pastors, that's for the staff, that's for the lead council, but it's not for me, the average person in the congregation. Let me just say, if we are already thinking that way, we are already on the wrong track. We're already losing our way. In fact, this very idea of being the church that God is calling us to be should matter to every single one of us. Why? Because you are the church. You are the church. The church is not the lead council or the staff or the pastors. They play a role, but you are the church. And so if you don't care about the church, if you don't care about where God is calling us to be and who God is calling us to be, we'll never be the church that God desires us to be. I realize we live in a very individualistic society and culture, and most people that I know don't care a whole lot about the general church, except for what it can do or how it might impact me. And I also realize that the church is not perfect. It's made up of sinful, broken people. It fails at times. It disappoints at times. It does not do everything that it should do all the time. It can be easy to become disillusioned with the church. Many of us might even wonder, why should I give to the church my time or my resources or anything? I mean, after all, what has the church done for me lately? Why sacrifice for this? But here's the reason that every single one of us should care. And here it is. The church is God's one plan for sharing and spreading the kingdom of God here and now in this world. There is no plan B. God has given the joy of sharing the transforming love of Jesus, the most powerful message in the universe, to the church alone, to the church as disciples filled in the power of the Holy Spirit to you and to me as disciples of Christ, as the church. And God calls you and me, every single one of us, to be a part of that church. So no, the church is not perfect. But without the corporate church, the community of believers, 
How would we collectively be able to teach our kids and help them grow in discipleship? What would a Christmas Eve look like without the church and the world being able to turn to the church and remember again the birth of Christ? Who would we turn to when we get a bad diagnosis or have to deal with the death of a loved one? What would our community be like without the church that seeks to offer love and healing through offering warmth when needed and food when needed and protection when needed and assistance when needed? How could we do things like transform or code blue or first night without the collective power of the church? Where would the world turn to in times of birth and death and so many significant moments in between if the corporate church did not exist? See, God has a high and holy and powerful plan for your life, and it is not a life lived alone. It's a life lived in the body of Christ, the church. Notice in Scripture, it's called the body of Christ. It's not the hand of Christ or the toe of Christ or the eye of Christ. It's the collective body, all of us together. And God has entrusted this most important message in the universe to the church of which you are a part. Now, there's a whole lot of passage in Scripture we could look at when it comes to being God's church. But today, I want to direct our attention to the Gospel of Mark. So you got Matthew and then the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. And if you haven't already done so, I want to invite you to just go ahead and take out a Bible and be prepared to look with me or to look it up on your phone. Mark's gospel begins in its introduction with the long-awaited Son of God, the Messiah. Now, considering this is the Son of God, that is the Messiah, it would be fair for us to expect amazing signs and wonders. Because again, this is the Messiah, the divine, the holy that we're talking about. But if that's our expectation, we might be a little disappointed when we start to actually read in the Gospel of Mark. Because this Messiah, this Savior that comes to bring in the kingdom of God in all of its fullness, is the same Savior who's going to turn around and delegate much of his messianic and transforming work to ordinary disciples. And it's not just to any disciples. It's not to the most gifted disciples or the most extraordinary disciples. Rather, he's going to delegate to the most ordinary disciples. In so many ways, Jesus entrusts the holy mission of God's divine purposes for humanity to the most ordinary disciples. They're so ordinary, they misunderstand Jesus. They miss the point. They often get befuddled and confused. They seem just like the rest of the crowds, and yet God chooses to use them. So we're in Mark chapter 6 today, and up until this point in the Gospel of Mark, it's Jesus who's been doing almost all of the teaching and healing and proclaiming and engaging with the crowds. And it might be easy to think in those first five chapters of Mark then, before you get to Mark 6, what was Jesus doing? Maybe he was vetting out and checking out who might be the best of the disciples. But as we're going to find out by continuing in the Gospel of Mark today, we'll see that Jesus did not vet out the best and most wonderful disciples. If anything, he was choosing the most ordinary. In some ways, if I can say it, these disciples, the very ones Jesus picked, in a lot of ways seem to move from dumb to even dumber. They remain clueless for the longest time. They stumble along after Jesus, and these are the ones that Jesus chooses to use. In fact, Mark seems to almost go out of his way to point out that for whatever reason, these disciples have been chosen by Jesus not because of their gifts and graces, but because they're so very ordinary. Now, here's what I want us to catch today, and we have to watch carefully. 
What we're seeking to do with Jesus in this chapter, what he is seeking to do by sending out these ordinary people, he's really given us a model for what will be the birth of the church, what will eventually be the church. Now, normally we think of the birth of the church happening in Acts chapter 2, and that's exactly right. When the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, the church is birthed. But today in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 6, we see already seeds of what this holy movement of the church will become. And we see the ways in which the church will begin to function by what Jesus does with his disciples. So again, look with me in Mark chapter 6. And the first thing we're going to do here is we're going to look at Mark chapter 6, verse 2. And we see Jesus teaching in the official religious space of the day described in this way. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. So what we see here is Jesus sending these ordinary disciples out to do what he's been doing. He sends them to teach and to proclaim and to heal. We also see Jesus teaching in the synagogue area, in a gathered official religious space. So he's teaching in the gathered space, but he's also sending the disciples at the same time. And we see Jesus connecting with these official religious people in places of worship, and then sending his disciples to meet people on their turf. And so you've got this gathering idea and this sending idea. And so it's in the model of Jesus, we also want to be a church that is gathered and sent. So in our setting, connected with First Church, what this means for us is we gather in our official religious spaces, our sanctuary, especially on Sunday mornings, for gathered worship. But we are also sent into our community to worship in places through things that we call the Acts Network. So again, a lot of times baptisms and singing and praying corporately happen Sunday morning in our gathered setting. But in our Acts Network, we seek to meet people on their turf through first night and churches, church on the mountain and worshiping in nursing homes or on the volleyball court or in yoga groups or in home groups or in lots of other ways. We get to celebrate things like Faith Zone where just last month, in the month of December, over 140 middle school students were exposed to the power of prayer and the love of Jesus right in the middle school itself. We want to be a church that is gathered on Sunday mornings and sent out because we know increasingly people are not going to seek us out. And so we have to go and seek them out on their turf to connect with them and whatever's going on in their life. We want to focus on Jesus in this world by being good neighbors and caring individuals and people not just focused on ourselves, but people who want to make a positive difference here in the community of which we are a part. So that in this way, we do absolutely want to offer powerful worship experiences on Sunday mornings with our choir, with our praise team, with everyone who gathers. And we want to make a powerful difference as God's church out there, wherever there may be, whether it's in nature or in middle schools or homes or somewhere else. Because that's what we see Jesus doing here in Mark 6. And notice he's not just randomly sending out these disciples without a purpose. Jesus is sending them specifically for purposes of healing, to literally cast out demons and anoint the sick. Look what it says in Mark 6, verses 7 and 13. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them two by two, and he gave them authority over impure spirits. And then verse 13, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. 
This is phenomenal when we stop and think about it. Look what Jesus is doing. Jesus is going head to head with the powers of the day, both political and demonic. And to do that, he turns to 12 ordinary disciples and sends them into the world to do what he has been doing, to bring healing where there is pain and suffering. Had any of those disciples had any medical training? Uh, we know that the gospel writer Luke did. He, he was a doctor. But what about these 12 disciples? And yet it doesn't seem to matter. Jesus sends them anyhow. Jesus says, go and heal anyhow. Jesus says, go and bring relief anyhow. Meet the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual needs of people. Do what I've been doing, says Jesus. And in the model of Jesus, we also want to be a church that brings healing in our world. We also, as ordinary, everyday people, whether we have medical training or not, want to be a people that brings healing in our world, just like Jesus. There are many churches that teach in the name of Jesus, and that is wonderful. And there are many churches that preach in the name of Jesus, and that is wonderful. We absolutely want to teach, and we absolutely want to preach, but we also want to heal in the name of Jesus. We too want to be a people who pray over sickness and death. We too want to see systems of evil and injustice in our world overthrown and be part of those things however we can be. This is why we do things like Code Blue to bring warmth and food to those who may not have it, to work with individuals and help set them on a new path, to show concern in a world of hurt. So if you've not yet signed up for Code Blue, we'll be doing it from now all the way till the end of March. Let the church office know or John and Sue Best so that we can help you bringing, part of bringing healing in our world. This is why we support things like International Justice Mission. It helps us to overthrow systems of evil in our world, especially in relationship to slavery. This is why we do Transform in the summer to offer relief to those who are seeking it. So if you haven't done so, I wanna invite you today, literally to block off a day on your calendar during July 31st until August 4th in that week to come and serve in our community and offer healing in our community. This is why we support things like Family Promise, which brings healing to families through homes and providing homes so they can be healthy. It's why we support things like Dwell, which provides healing through creating safe forever homes in which to dwell. It's why we support things like Expectations, which offers healing to women who need counseling due to various and difficult circumstances in their lives that they are dealing with. We wanna see evil in all its forms broken and healing offered. We want to be a church that is not afraid of the gates of hell and seeks to bring in the kingdom of God in all of its fullness here and now. So we want to be a church that is gathered and sent. We want to be a church that brings healing. We also want to recognize this. In the command of Jesus himself, we want to be a church that fully relies on God. We hear this in Mark 6, verses 8 and 9. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. This is Jesus' way of saying, you will not take this journey in your own strength. There will not be other rational or logical explanations for what you are doing. It will be clear that to you and to the world that the only explanation for why these things are happening is literally, literally by the grace and the strength of God. We want to be a church where people look around and say, there is no way they could do this on their own. 
We want to be a people where people look at us and see the glory of God happening in such a way that they realize that cannot be because of their own doing. It can only be because of God Almighty among them. And so Jesus says to us, rely fully on me. We talk about this mindset when it comes to ministry. Every year when our lead council gets together to discuss and review the budget, in particular, they pray to be good stewards to be responsible with what God has given to us, but they also pray to be a people of faith, to not be limited by the resources that we think we have. And so this past year, our lead council took the biggest leap of faith they've ever taken, not to be irresponsible, but to fully rely on the Lord so that there would be no doubt as to who was responsible for what was going on. We honestly don't know how we'll meet all of our financial obligations this year. But we hope and we trust and we pray that as we rely on the Lord, that through one of you or through many of you, that you will be inspired to empower God's church through your giving, your resources, your sacrifice, and who God is calling you to be. We hope and we pray that God will surprise us in some way, some unexpected way, to provide for our needs so that it is abundantly clear, Lord, it is you doing this, not us in our own strength. We don't know how God will do this, but we trust that God will do this. I'll confess to you that this one is personally so hard for me. It's so much easier a lot of times to rely on ourselves than on God. But I will say this to you, in over two decades of ministry, in trying to rely fully on God and not always perfectly, that the Lord has always, always somehow provided some way. Even in COVID, when everything came to a standstill, we didn't even have to do a massive layoff. In fact, we didn't have to lay anyone off. Somehow God provides. And we trust that God will do that again this year. We want to be a church then that is gathered and sent, that brings healing into our world, fully relies on God, and in the model of Jesus, we want to be a church that defies categorization. We hear this in Mark chapter 6, verse 12. They went out and preached that people should repent. We hear of preaching and repentance. We hear of words and action. We can only guess that the preaching being referred to here was preaching Christ as Lord and Savior in conjunction with the kingdom of God. And clearly, we're told then that people should repent. So we see here that belief is important. Repentance from sin, from wrongdoing, from evil. Speaking generally, those are word-oriented elements. Those are belief-oriented elements. They're doctrine-oriented elements. And some of us love belief and doctrine. But we also hear very clearly this in Mark chapter 6, verse 13. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Those are all action-oriented. So bringing healing to the hurting, laying hands on them, fighting evil forces and brokenness in this world. In other words, put your actions where your words are. Go out and make a difference. Make the world better and more beautiful. And some of us love this because we're action-oriented. We are doers. And what I love in this is that Jesus is not easily categorized in any human category. Jesus is not easily boxed in. It's not just belief about Jesus. And it's not just action in Jesus, it's both. And in our world of extremes, in our world of, unless you see it exactly my way, in my category, you're my enemy, 
How powerful to see the juxtaposition of belief and action in what Jesus is doing and proclaiming with his disciples. Jesus is both and, fully human and fully divine, full of grace and truth. Jesus who proclaims right belief and right action. And so we want to be a church who follows this biblical Jesus who defies any human category. We want to embrace Jesus with our heart and our mind, with our emotions and our thinking, with our belief and our action. And one of my favorite things about you, First Church, is that we have people from every walk of life. You just don't see that in that many churches, but by the grace of God, we see it here. And that to me seems like the kingdom of God. Today, what we see in Mark 6 with Jesus is Jesus bursting forth on the scene and proclaiming what the kingdom of God looks like. And to you and I, if we've heard much about Jesus before, this may not seem like that big a deal. We might feel like, well, I've seen Jesus do this before. I've heard about Jesus doing this before. But this would have been flabbergasting to the people at that time. For Jesus to come in the way that he did and to send out these ordinary disciples would have been absolutely mind-boggling to them. And in choosing to go head-to-head with the powers of this world, Jesus Almighty, the Son of God, chooses amazingly not to do this alone. He chooses to partner with a group of most ordinary people, disciples to go out and live out and proclaim the kingdom of God, a group that will be sent as God's church. And these will be a people who gather in walls for worship, but also outside of them. These will be a people who offer words of healing and actions of healing in this world. These will be a people who rely fully on God and not in their own strength. And these will be a people who defy worldly categorization. This is the kind of church you and I are called to be. This is the kind of church we want to be. Jesus sends ordinary people, people like you and me, out to do what he does. I wonder if any of the original disciples thought they were worthy of such a calling. You know what? Jesus doesn't seem to worry about that. He calls and commissions and ordains them to proclaim the good news and to preach the good news and to live the good news. And that's enough. That's more than enough. What today, church, is God calling you? What is Jesus commissioning you to do? Serve as a pioneer in the Acts Network? Serve at Code Blue to bring healing? Take a step of fully relying on God through your sacrifice? Learning to believe where you have not yet believed? Something else? Somehow or another, Jesus figured out a way to call you, just like he called those original disciples in all of their imperfection and ordinariness. You are here because Jesus has called you here and now. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever lose sight of that. And maybe you have doubts and reservations about your giftings or abilities to cast out demons or to be as generous as Jesus assigns you to be, but don't worry about that because your authorization is based not on your own abilities or talents, but on Jesus's sending assignment to you. In a world where people worry about who's in charge, in a world where people are concerned about stability or volatility or lack thereof, in a world where people are seeking out security, we are a church who wants to be who Jesus has called us to be. 
for 2023 and beyond. By the grace of God and in the power of God's Holy Spirit, may it be so. Amen.